Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Well, thanks for joining us today in the StoryCraft Cafe. We've got a great show for you. If you are a fan of the Netflix show, You, then you're going to love this episode. Caroline Kepnes is the author of the book series that that show is based upon, and she joins us today to, to talk about her brand new book and about writing anti-heroes and, you know, what a unique perspective it is to uh, to write in the voice of those characters and to weave stories around them. You're going to love it. Be sure to check us out over at storycraft.cafe where you can be aware of upcoming events that we have. We usually stream all of our interviews live on YouTube and then release them later uh, on our podcast channel. So whether you enjoy listening to podcasts on your commute or, you know, with earbuds in, or if you would like to sit at the computer and watch and interact and engage in the conversation, you can do that any way that you like to. We try to make it easy for you. Storycraft.cafe. Now on to our show. And we're live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. Today, I am super excited to have Caroline Kepnes on with me. She has a brand new book that is available today, and it's called For You and Only You. And what a wild ride this book is, Caroline. I love it. Um, I'm a little late to the Netflix series um I, my kids all watched it and have told me dad you've got to watch this it's right up your alley and um anyway I, I was a little later coming to it and then when I discovered that it was a book series I I first went and listened to the first three audiobooks and then I got the arc in the mail and I've read this one and I've uh, I'm surprised that the dust cover is in good a shape as it is because I, I, I took it everywhere with me. It was crazy. It doesn't um, never make sense. Some of them, I feel like I have it for a day. It looks like I've had it for a year and others, right. you know, yeah, Teflon. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I have an, a question I've been dying to ask you though. How do you go from writing uh, Seventh Heaven, the t- the television show, to writing Joe Goldberg? Well, to me, like it's similar, like I like extremes and there's a line in that first chapter of you that I feel like I came up with when I was on Seventh Heaven and Secret Life of the American Teenager, where he says he's looking at Beck and he says, you're so clean, you're dirty. Like there's something that fascinates me about what we like to look at and the worlds we like to enter where Seventh Heaven, like the, the level of purity was just beautiful. And Joe, the level of internal depravity is wonderful. Like I just love being in these spaces with a very specific set of rules and languages and someone in charge and some like approach to life just in your face. So yeah, it's kind of, I think I, I saw an, an article or an interview or something where you, you uh, said something to the effect and please correct me where I get this wrong because I know I'm going to butcher it, but um, there's something dark about the, the, the pure 
um, the, the stories where everything is just perfect. There's something kind of dark about that. It's the fix. I feel like we need those stories. We love seeing things get resolved, like yeah. especially when there are large problems. And back in that era of that kind of television, like those Camdens could do anything. Right. And the, my way into that was I was obsessed with that show with like they had reaction shots of the dog who, of course, was named Happy. <laughs> and I wrote a thing for Entertainment Weekly online comparing the Camdens to the Osbournes. Because it was like, yes, if you take a fair, like if you dress them all up a certain way, it's just that thing of having, knowing how this family is going to tackle this problem. And I think that is so comforting. And just depending on your mood, the way you want to be comforted. Man. So um, what, is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? I love asking people that to, you know, are, are we the, the, kind of the age old question, are we born to be writers or is it something that you learned? What Can, can was, you trace it back to your earliest memories? I mean, it starts with reading and being the youngest, like I have an older brother and how and watching everyone in my family read and know how to read. So I had like like this childhood stuff did not interest me. I wanted to write. I felt like, I mean, I wanted to read. I felt like that was the key to making your own decisions. If you wanted to run away, you could read the signs. If you wanted to find someone, you could write to them. So there was this absolute drive to read and write. And then it was playing with dolls and then kind of the way you learn, the way your mind works. I remember having a birthday party once and there was a strange man outside and my mind going to like, he's coming here to kill us. This is all going to turn bloody in a minute. And other people were like, is that your uncle? And it was like, why does, why does my mind do that? Why does it go there? And what happens when I kind of ask that and see where else it can go? And then absolutely my parents encouraging me reading books and like wanting to just do that and being fascinated by it, the way you can kind of leave the world and go into the page. It's just magic. Why do you think we love stories about danger, about the uh, the the normalcy of life turning dark? Like you know, like you said, you know, someone's at the door. Oh, they're here to kill us. Um, yeah. What do you think is? I I read a lot of books like that, and for me, they're strangely comforting. And, and, and I say that to people and they're like, well, you're just a psychopath, you know, and <laughs> yes, that's, you know, but I, I'm sure you get that a lot as well. You know, like what, what drives you to, to write such dark stories? I think it's like you said, it's, it is comforting because you're in danger, but you're not, you're in right. a safe place. You're reading about something that could happen. And there's this little like high that it's not happening to you. And then there's this reflection oh god it's happening to someone else and it allows you like i just read this book last week where i was sitting there crying and you know like i don't cry all the time and it was like it's yeah. this book i love that like a story can pull you out pull emotions out of you that are in there can let you live and walk in someone else's shoes live someone else's life and i think scary stories especially like in real life i scare so easily like I have that, I hate to be scared. I love to be scared. I was just laughing with a friend the other day about going to the movies a couple of times, being asked to leave because I was screaming too much. And it's that kind of thing. Like, you know, you're. It's, it's not you in danger, it's someone else. It's so exciting, it's liberating. And then it also, I love when you end a book that was scary or you leave a movie and you've got that hyper awareness of your surroundings, right? Like yeah. you walk outside and everyone, could be the one like you're in line, you're aware of the person in back of you, you're looking at the person behind the counter, you pull out your credit card, you're, you're aware someone might see it. 
I like that activated mind. And I feel like it's kind of rewarding because then you're kind of on the lookout. <clears throat> it's it, there's a bit of an adrenaline rush, but from the safety of your reading chair or, you know, then you take the book and lay it on your night, uh, your your bedside table and, you know, wrap up in your covers and you're completely safe. But you've gotten to face danger in, in a yes. weird kind of way. Oh, yes. And yeah. I, don't, I think it's also the race against time to stay alive. Like it kind of boils it all down and puts your own life in perspective and reminds you that, yeah, we're all kind of, you know, going to end up the same way. Bad things happen. You can look out, but there's, you know, it's comforting. Like, yeah, yeah. We're all, you know, something is going to come for all of us. Yeah, right. But maybe not today, like the person <laughs> in the story. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by where stories begin. Uh, you know, in one moment in time, Joe Goldberg and the the U series uh, doesn't exist in any way, shape, or form, and then maybe a character walks onto the stage of your mind or uh, you start kind of playing the what if game. Well, what if something like this happened? And then all of a sudden it starts unraveling. And then, you know, it's then it's your job as the writer is to kind of dig that story out, excavate it, dust it off, polish it up. And, and then a book exists. Um, wh what was that first moment for the U series where for in that first book, what, what was the birth of that? It was like I'd gone through a rough time of I lost my father. So that was like a life altering thing. And he sure. was funny and it was his voice and it was a long, slow cancer. So on the one mm -hmm. hand, you know that it's coming, you have time to prepare, but it happens. And to me, that void of someone who I realized like I was born with that person already alive, like and that person who knew how to tease me, who knew how to like get me out of my funk. And it, I, the things that you don't think of, of like, oh, okay, I'm not getting that stimulation. Like you can look at a picture, you can think, but that's never coming at you. Right. And I was adjusting to that. And then like the way it is in life, like just everything was a mess. Like on top of like that heavy stuff, like my dad, all these little things, I had to be silent because I'd had emergency throat surgery. So I'm walking mm. around communicating with a notepad. And that made me very internal and very aware of my thought process and how much harder it is when you're communicating with someone to do it through paper and not be able to use your voice. And I noticed I would look through my notepads of like going out with a friend and see that I kept doing the smiley face. And I was like, oh yeah, like that start, like this need to like cover up to say, oh, that was sarcastic or like, oh, I'm assuring you, like, I don't mean that. And I feel like the more as time passes, you know, like it feels more and more like that experience with that notepad and the silence. And it wasn't for that long, but when you can't talk, like it's a long time. Oh yeah. And it made me like feel aware of my inner voice and how that conversation with myself was so important and how it affected how I interacted with the world, how I treated people, everything. And that kind of led the way to Joe of like, what if this person has this inner life that means more to him than anything and that he keeps a secret? There is no smiley face. Like he kind of means that and mm. he does things, but I mainly that like, if you're like that, it's like kind of the root of narcissism with him. If you ultimately care about if your best friend is that inner voice inside of you, on the one hand, that's what a therapist is like. You love yourself, be good to you. On the other hand, if you think that your feelings and your ultimate loyalty is only and exclusively to you, and especially kind of turn it around and twist it into saying, oh, no, not me, you, someone else, and it all works out in your head because you keep it all in there, that's what I loved.
Like it was this place to put my loss. And it was a classic example of like writer's block too, where I'd written a script that was very like, kind of this just happened, here it is. Like I wrote about taking care of my dad and the healthcare system and I wasn't ready. And I'd written a book about Stephen Crane years earlier, a kid's book, a biography. And he had written and talked a lot about how experiences go through a filter. And for some things it takes a day, for other things, I think like the death of your father, it takes a little yeah. while to like go back to the minutia. So yeah, all of that kind of coming together and realizing that like, I like to, I wanted to create something out of all of that experience and do something with those feelings and not kind of force myself back into those hospital rooms, but go there a little. Like I remember in you realizing, oh, I'm taking him to the hospital. Like I'm going to, you know, I have to a little bit like. <laughs> Joe is the possibly the definition of a complicated character. Um, someone that, uh, that is easy to um, relate to, um, yet you find yourself almost ashamed that you're relating to him. Um, <laughs> when, when you're creating that character, did was there a decision point where you know Joe's going to be this way uh, as opposed to you know taking this path where Joe might have become a completely different character? What was kind of the, the the decision process for who Joe was going to be, and and knowing that that he was never going to be your typical protagonist? It came from like for years I wrote short stories, and so that was my comfort zone. I loved the tightness, the like the the space, right. the limited space. And as a journalist, like when you get three hundred worlds, and even in TV, like this episode, you can't have eighty locations. I liked right. those. So to kind of help myself, I spent so long on that first chapter, like as if it was a short story, as if there was nothing coming. I tried different things. I wanted to get to know him and I wanted to get really sure of what works, what feels right, what wakes me up in the middle of the night. Like, why did I put that there? And waiting for those little moments. I feel like it's what I love about writing and about art. Some, you know, you work your ass off and then something just comes to you and it feels like it's out of right. nowhere. And it's like, well, no, I got so into this that at some point it was going to speak to me. And right. those moments of like, there's when in that first chapter, one of those conversations, I was happy to feel like, okay, I really get him. He's talking to Beck and he's mentioning Taylor Swift and he's really trying to put on a show, but he's like yelling at himself. And I liked that because so much of Joe was about that little voice in my head that will be that we all have that like is against you is critical. And I liked him for like finding something to do with that voice. And I wanted and as I got as I saw him interacting with her and saw him coming off so normal, it felt like right, I like this because he's so sensitive. Mm -hmm. He is going to be sensitive about himself. He's going to listen to himself. He's going to be self aware. He's going to have qualities that we love. And then we're, we are going to like that. And we are going to relate to him because we all kind of think that we're that way too. And then he's going to kind of flip the switch on you and make you realize that the buck stops with him. And that he, in that way, he's the judge and the jury. He's very good at excusing himself for things that he does. And not only excusing himself, but praising him. But it right. was like in the writing way of taking that one interaction of him seeing her of overthinking it to death, like from her perspective too, as a woman, like the way that she walks into a bookstore, she doesn't think anything of it. 
and his perception that you were born to me. You walked in like you're mine. The way you never know the way anyone around you was thinking and how they present themselves is not an indicator of who they are. It's just humans. It's so right. many stories. It's like it's out there. But on that personal specific level, giving him little things to love, lines from poems and stories, and really spending time with him as a reader and thinking of what books that I love that he would be disgusted at, of what would disgust him about me and whether he has a point. And it was like getting to know someone and not putting the pressure of a book, just like really, really going into that first chapter over and over again until I felt like, okay, you know, I'm time to move on. It with with stories like these, there's um there's a tendency by a lot of writers to want to um I'm trying to put this in words to um paint this as sort of a cautionary tale or to have some moral lesson uh, at the end to kind of redeem the you know the all of what you've been through and um and even though there are there are moments like that where where it's obvious that um you know th this has happened for a reason this this could have happened you know differently um you don't always just let the reader off the hook like with with some little after school special you know yeah. you know moral lesson at the end um is that ever a temptation or uh, you know, do you ever sit and, and wonder, you know, well, how is this going to be received by readers or are you not plagued by those? I know what you mean, but I feel like it was one of those things in that first book. I knew what he was going to do yeah. as I was playing with him. And that's what made it painful. Like that, like, oh, I like it, but he's I know what he's going to do and right. he's going to do it. And I like feeling that energy and that, you know, I feel like it sounds pretentious and cliched when you say it out loud. But like as the author, like. The character wants what he wants. You know, there are limits right. to our control. You think of yourself as in control, but then no. But also I feel like we need stories of redemption as much as we need stories where life isn't fair and right. things don't get resolved. And that's where I like, I loved hearing from people who were like enjoying the entertainment aspect of it, of being in his head. And in that way, not the cautionary tale element, just like being in this racing mind, like his crazy Joe and going out in the world and, See, knowing what's going to bug him, what's going to get under his skin. And then hearing from people who'd been in situations with domestic violence or and felt kind of hard on themselves or people were like, but you didn't send something and how this was so cathartic for them because it was like, hello, here it is. Like sometimes True. you don't send something. Right. And that always go also goes back to the cancer of it, of like watching my dad in this fight that was rigged when it's stage four cancer, you can't win. And right. Joe in that way was stage four cancer. And I liked knowing that like, yes, like you can analyze it in his childhood and like, obviously none of that helped, but some people are just born a with a certain little way about them. Yeah. And yeah, like I like to think that if he was born in this like really great, you know, family situation, if he was born in the Camden household, like right. would he, <laughs> what then? And I don't have the answer to that, but that's why I like it as a question, because it's those questions that I like of like always going back and forth between. So is Joe like if he could be loved, would he stop? Would he do it? Would he like not have this thing in him? But it's like, no, because his home place, his home base is having a secret, is being an outsider. And no matter what, he's unconsciously always going to go back to that. 
And it has nothing to do with like the moral of the story. It's just like that, if anything, that's to me like part of his humanity as this character. So yeah, that's where I can't just like have him, you know, pieces of moments of redemption, but. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. In in the either writing or publishing uh, the first book, uh, and the first book's just called You, right? Yep. Um, in uh, in writing or publishing that book, when did you realize that this had series potential? In I feel like early when there were advanced copies, and I remember one day I was, you know, I didn't know much about how all of this works, and they make these advanced copies, and they're going to send them to people, and I'm swimming, and I get out of the water, and I look at my phone the way you start to, and you're like, oh god, yeah. like the book is coming, it's coming, and Colleen Hoover had loved it, and. That gave, made it kind of real for me because I didn't know her personally. You know, like you give it to your friends, yeah. everyone's like, it's that kind of thing. And then it was like, okay, this woman has written books. This woman knows her, like writes a lot, of, tells a lot of stories, writes a lot. I know who she is. She loved this. And that made me feel like, okay, there's something here. So that was the outside world aspect of it. In the writer way, I was like into hidden bodies before I was done with you because the I was so addicted to this character. I knew yeah. it probably wasn't the smartest move because, you know, it was a two book deal and it's like a smart person would probably show, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to tell that story and see which way to go. But I was just addicted and I've never been one to make logical decisions. I just follow my stupid obsessive heart. So it was like, there's no question. Like after everything that happened to him in New York, I'm sending him to LA. And I feel like there's a balance between those things. And it's, but it's always, of course, really nice to see like the outside world. And when like Greg Berlanti and Sarah Gamble found the book and saw a series in it, it just makes me feel like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like the way right. I can't stop thinking about him and I find him interesting, other people do too. And they want to play with him too. And that's just a good feeling. Like, um, there's, there's something, um, almost kind of guilty pleasure ish when you have a book that's about the book world, uh, about writers, about bookstores, things like that. There's uh, I, I absolutely love it. It's some, some of my favorite tropes to, to play with. Um, and in this book, we go from, um, from the bookstore world to now Joe is, becoming a writer uh, himself and you know and you you play with these these tropes these um uh, these elements of the book world all through the series and and now um it's so funny to 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 see joe kind of put um in a in in this world that that he feels so intimately connected with yet is still a fish out of water um what were some of the the ideas behind the, doing this to Joe? I think like it was it was the pandemic, and I was I was like we all had our plans. I was supposed yeah. I had events, book events. I was really excited about, and you know, getting on planes. And I've always liked that part of the publishing world that like you hunker down and write, and then you get to go places, whether it's yeah. the bookstore down the street and see your book, or fly somewhere and see readers. And you know, so I'm in this apartment, like missing all of that like crazy wanting to kind of live vicariously through Joe in a selfish way of like, if I, I can send him out into the world and to be around writers and that'll be fun. Of course, it'll be Joe's version of it. But also in a major way, when I like was in my twenties in like the nineties, I'm well, teenage. Yeah. I'm math, but in the nineties and the early aughts, when I was like 
wanting to be a writer and looking what a writer's life was before social media, it really was so different. And like the writers that I saw when I lived in New York would like, I would discover someone in a bookstore and no one would have ever heard of them. And that wasn't ever like, oh, this writer's not being promoted. This writer doesn't promote themselves. It was like, this is a delicious, dirty little secret. And I'm cool because I know someone you don't know. And I found this book and I loved that. I loved how we found books through purely through word of mouth in a very closed circle of people, you know, or someone, to, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then as a writer, to me, like going out and seeing someone and like finding out who it was and thinking their book came out and they're just like sitting there, right? Like they're just like out in the world. They have no idea what anyone thinks. Maybe you get a big review. Maybe you don't. There was so little, like so little communication between readers in a large global way. So to think of now and to watch it happen, especially over the last 10 years, how things have exploded into this hyper communicative world where people can find each other and talk and talk and talk right. and read and share and all of that. So Joe has also always been a big part of like that part of the way the world has changed and what it's done to our minds. And this book was a way for me to, to show like, okay, how does it affect Joe as a reader, as a writer, as a self-conscious person who wants to be that writer who was like sitting in the genius in the cabin who emerges and walks down the street like, yeah, I'm just a genius. Like actually <laughs> getting to the point where he's supposed to expose himself and give people the opportunity to dislike him. And with Joe too, I always want to feel like, oh, if this had happened, uh, you know, in another time, it would have been okay. Like he would have thrived in if he had a book published in 93, you know? Yeah. Because there wouldn't have been, there, there were more gatekeepers and he likes control. And it's always about control. So it was where writing this book was exciting to see this controlling guy who has his own naive streak. I feel like he, much as he thinks and he's smart, he doesn't go that extra step until it's too late. Like if he had sat there and said, wait a minute, publishing, being read, criticized, uh -uh. but. <laughs> well, speaking of, of the, the TV show, um, I, I found that um, that the Netflix series is pretty faithful to the spirit of Joe. I, I've and, and I know there are details that that had to change the the translation. You know, things just have to change. But I think they were very faithful to the spirit of Joe and to the the kind of spirit of, of the stories. Um, when when the TV show came about, um, you obviously had had published the first book and then you got attention. Um, was there a point where these two Joes split off? You've got the book Joe and the TV Joe, um, or do they are they the same person to you or do they exist in different universes? I feel like Sarah and I talked about one that once where they're like almost like cousins. And this was a few years ago. But it's natural. It's like when those when writers are re, are shaping him for TV mm -hmm. and told and love the book, but it's a different medium. And to right. me, the book, like I remember when it came time to like talk about actors. And for me, I would see Joe everywhere, like not in a there wasn't a physical thing. It was more a vibe. Mm -hmm. And the, the books you were in his head. So he was looking at the world. Right. And we only got his version of the story. So they're in this world. We're we're watching him and it's just very different. And then you've got this actor, Penn Badgley, who just kills it in the voiceover, which was something I was so passionate about. 
And it was like, okay, this, they get it. Like, this is the key to all of it. This is what makes this story kind of, it's the engine. And I think that's true in the show. And that's what made me excited for the viewer, for the reader. What's he thinking? What's he going to do? That kind of like super up close energy. And yeah, I think it's natural that as time passes, they drift. And, and it's, and I mean, also the multiverse of it is just very exciting. And it's sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm writing and I like look up and I realize that a few miles away, there's a room full of people telling them their own Joe Goldberg stories. And there are people out there who read this book the same way I read books and was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I want to write a book. And that's like the schmaltzy best part of writing is that feeling that like it's out there and it's like in ether and yeah, in every, in so many different ways. I, I love how you describe that uh, for you, Joe, was more of a, a vibe, uh, a, a sense of the character more than an embodiment of the character. But then after watching the the series and, and being involved with it, like I'm I'm are, are you involved with the series? The Not as much now. I feel okay. like in the beginning, like those early seasons, I had written the first two books and then I got to write two more books. So I feel like some people could be really mentally organized and go from one Joe universe to the other. Sure. And I just, I was like, I can't. And I also didn't want to be the one getting mixed up between what I was doing in my sure. book that they were doing in the show. Sure. And also for me, it's the way I came into the character was so much through the prose of it. And that's just like, I like to write screenplays. I like that writing. And it just depends on for me, like, oh my God, like I just writing Joe, like I like to be alone and you know just going at it <laughs> well, well after going from uh thinking of joe this way to now seeing joe and and seeing him as a character and and not just experiencing the world through his eyes but seeing him in the third person uh almost did that affect um the way you write joe now um did, was there you know a subtle shift because you can't unsee Joe now. You see right. the same Joe the, the, the rest of us see. Does, does that change the way you see how he responds and reacts to the world? It's wild, right? Like, I'm like, it, it's another thing that will go through the filter. Because yeah. for me, I feel once I'm in it, like, it's like, even there are those days when I've turned on Netflix and there he is. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I just wrote all day. Like, <laughs> like, like, I can't, you know. But um, I feel like I won't know that for a while, the way you can't really process or no step that far outside of yourself. I know that when I'm in it, when I'm locked in and it's that beautiful thing where the time is flying by and I don't even like the sun's going down and I'm so invested, I don't know. But I feel like the way our writing, our voice changes depending on what happens in our lives. Like I'm sure there's something in there. I just know yeah. that the part of me that like when I, once I get into it, I just get into it, you know? Um, another thing that's so great about uh, your books is the uh, the extended cast of characters. You know, we you know Joe gets so much attention, but the um, the rest of the world that you build is is so rich. And uh, how do you think about um, supporting cast if we if we can? I love that. It's like when you're a kid and you're deciding which dolls to play with that day with a friend. And to me, like when you're used to playing alone and this friend comes over and you're like, no, but these two go that way. And you're realizing, no, but I'm playing with someone. So we have to like compromise. And I kind of have those, I feel like there's two of me in that way where I'm like, okay, 
here's what I like, here's what the story wants. And going back and forth and wanting them to feel real because that's my favorite thing about, like I remember reading Great Expectations when I was younger and being like, I know these people. I had another right. life. I lived in this. I know that for a fact. Like I was there. I know these people. I love that feeling. So I'm very hard on myself with that where I hope I want to have that feeling when I'm reading. And I always hope I get there. And I hope that that comes across to the reader because that's the real magic of it. That like, not just like you said, like Joe, yes, his voice, he's funny, blah, blah. But like, I want to feel like part of that means even more because those people that are around him, well, they're real too. Yeah. Well, and in the new book where, where Joe is, um, you know, pursuing a writing career now, were there elements of the, um, the writing community, the, the writing lifestyle that you got to kind of poke fun at a little bit? I mean, it's the writing world, all worlds. I feel like it's part of that thing where we're all so public and right. for someone like Joe who thinks he's so dignified, it only gets more fun as time goes on to let him react to this world. Of Like, I definitely wanted to have someone like Sarah Beth, who has a real public responsibility, a persona, a following, and just to, to see him kind of wrangle with that and yeah. re like realize, oh, that like that comes with the territory. And I wanted to ha him to have someone like Glenn, who is like born to win. And so good at showboating. Like it was another one of those first chapter things when when they're talking about the best thing that they read. And Glenn is the guy who actually says the screenplay adaptation of his book. And it's like, we know that there are people like that in everywhere. Right. There's some kid like that in the third grade classroom right now, like someone's rolling their eyes. So it's finding those like human foibles and then and then I play with them and then feeling the characters become a little bit more than that. Like that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, I love Glenn. I know the kind of jerk that he is, but then no, wait, he's not, no one is just a jerk to themselves. Like right. what else is in there? What is his real problem? Why is this woman married to him? Why is she the way she is? And the fun of discovering that it's like, that's where there's the rewriting of like writing to figure out who they are now writing to find, to let Joe find out who they are and then putting it all together probably a few more times. <laughs> Well, for you and only you is uh, available in bookstores today. Um, and uh, Caroline, if if we know anything about the publishing industry, um, this book has probably probably let's say that five times real fast. Probably been off of your desk for for quite a while while we go through all the machinations of of getting a book published. So, what are you working on now? Or are, are, are you? Will there be more Joe stories? I will never say no. What's coming next, like publishing wise and life wise, I'm not sure. I'm working on a few different things. But what you said, like this summer, my poor editor, I just refuse to stop. I'm like, I, I don't want to stop. I don't want it to be over. It's like, well, there's a deadline, like the copy, like, you know, yeah. it's and also once you start messing with it, you're losing sight of the big picture. So right. I was up really late writing something last night that I'm excited about. I don't feel ready to say it's about this, but like I'm writing so much. I'm so like, I feel like if I go a couple of days without writing, I start to be a little, so yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> well, um, we're going to put links on the show notes of this episode where you can go grab for you and only you. Uh, it's available at your local bookstore today. Go grab it. Or if you want to order from Amazon or Audible, um, I love the audiobooks, by the oh, way. I absolutely I, I love them. Chills. 
Santino um, is just out of this world. Like, oh yeah, so so good. And uh, the the written um, the the hardbound book is a different experience from the audio book. A little bit like the TV show is a different experience from the books. Um, it, it's just a, a, a different way of absorbing this story. And I, I, I love it so much. I love so. hearing you say that because a friend of mine I'm doing an event with tonight, she loves audio. But then she's like, then I'll go in and read part of it in the book to see the different ways I feel, the different yes. things that jump out at me. I'm like, yeah, I think it's God. I mean, we're, you know, we have so many different ways to get yeah. stories. Well, a book. lot of times I'll read a book. Um, I, I read a, a ton of arc. So I'll read it before the audio is available. And then when it releases, I'll grab the audio book and just experience it all over again in a different way. And, you know, it's, yes. it's, uh, you get to you get to live in books twice as long that that absolutely uh, that yeah. way. But we'll put links to uh, in the show notes where you can grab it from Audible if you want the audiobook, or from uh, Amazon, or go visit your local bookstore. Support or your library everywhere you can. Caroline, uh, if people are just discovering you, God forbid, and uh, and they want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they find you online if they want to find all things Caroline Kepnes? They can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and I have a website, carolinekepnis.com, where there are links to like the events, to everything, and they can Google, like the, the Joe and me is like, they can Google and stalk and Google like Caroline Kepnis short story and find things that, you know, have, have other people haven't necessarily read. So there's a lot out there. Yeah. Awesome. We'll link that up as well to make it easy for folks to find you. Awesome. Caroline, thank you so much for taking time to drop by the show today. Thank you, Hank, for this very happy pub day. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging, your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening. Thank you.